There's a war going on out there somewhere, and Harry isn't here. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for lovers of obscure musicals. How should I know what's going on in the uh, wizarding community? Snapped the Prime Minister now. I have a country to run and quite enough concerns at the moment without... We have the same concerns. The Brockdale Bridge didn't wear out. That wasn't really a hurricane. Those murders were not the work of muggles. I'm very sorry to have to tell you that he's back. He who must not be named is back. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And I am really curious to see how many people get that one because indeed you have to like cancelled Broadway shows. Uh, the opening was a reference to Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, a cancelled Broadway musical based on a hundred page sliver of Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. I've been waiting and waiting to get a Great Comet reference in. And this week was the ideal opportunity. It fits with the chapters. I mean, it does. There's no Harry in these chapters. It's, I mean, how popular is that musical? I don't know. Someone, one of our listeners will know what, at least one. If you know Great Comet, write in. If you don't know Great Comet, go to Spotify, Spotify or wherever you get your streaming music and uh, give it a listen. It's pretty good. It's not Hamilton, but it's up there, I think. Yeah, we disagree on great comment. <laughs> um, hi, we're back. That was a really weird way to reintroduce ourselves to y'all. We're just throwing people back in the deep end. Exactly. Of, of our like... Totally obscure and totally divergent interests. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. We're doing the quibbler again. It's been a couple months and this is exciting. We are starting Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Wow. So we are reading the first two chapters of the sixth book of the saga today, which are called The Other Minister and Spinner's End. And you will, per usual, and in case you're new, first of all, start from the beginning. But if you're new, welcome, and we love you and we're happy to have you. There will be spoilers. And as we get toward the end of these books, the spoilers are getting more and more spoilt. Spoiled? Spoilier. Spoilier. They're getting spoilier. And... There will also be ample and frequent cursing. So if you're a kid, I mean, just know that, I guess. It would be really cool if you were like a teen. We love the teens. They're I think so a couple, cool. I think a couple teens listen. What up, teens? Which is like the biggest compliment. Hello, because, fellow young people. Yes. Hello, fellow kids. How, that's what it is. Yeah. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> you can't kids. even get the meme right. <laughs> it's, yeah. That's um, when you know we're olds. So, also, in addition, you will hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are new labor, office decor, bad neighborhoods, sister stuff, and just following orders. So, Alex, let's buckle up because for the first time in several months, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, the Muggle Prime Minister, is... Hard at work in his office late at night, reviewing some very important documents and awaiting the call of a foreign leader from uh, somewhere. And he's, you know, he's reflecting on how life fucking sucks for the prime minister, I guess. Uh, 
He's feeling very sorry for himself because a lot of fucked up shit is happening all over Britain. A bridge fell down, there were some heinous murders, and it's all mysterious as fuck. And the opposition party is blaming him. Uh, it's also extremely misty, so there are some weather anomalies. Maybe it's climate change? Maybe it's something else? The climate is definitely changing for no reason uh, in July. There's a hurricane. So the prime minister is thinking about all this when he hears a soft cough behind him. He freezes and thinks, oh, God damn it. Once again, you're actually reciting every line. <laughs> he does not say, God damn it. No, but I mean like right. giving every detail. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get through this in one minute. <laughs> he hears a cough behind him, which can only mean... Uh, it's magic time. There's this painting of a guy who looks sort of like a frog. He's got a silver beard. Anyway, the painting says, Urgent call, fudge to see the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister reminisces to himself that every now and then he gets a visit from someone calling himself the Minister of Magic. Uh, it turns out there are wizards. <laughs> it turns out there are wizards. He reminisces about how the painting had spoken to him on the night of his election and also told him that he was about to have a meeting with Fudge, the Minister of Magic. And the Minister of Magic introduces himself to every UK Prime Minister and says, Look, magic is real, but we've got things under control, so don't worry about it. Every now and then, if like shit really hits the fan, I might come and like give you a heads up, but otherwise it's cool. We've got this shit on lock. Don't have to worry about it. You'll probably never see me again. But Fudge does come back. He comes back increasingly harried every year or so to tell him about new developments related to this dark wizard that Fudge will only write down on a napkin. Lord Voldemort. Lovo, as the Prime Minister likes to call him privately. Anyway, the Prime Minister's fireplace bursts into flame with emerald green fire and outsteps ba-ba-ba motherfucking Cornelius Fudge once again to tell him that it turns out Lord Voldemort is back. So that's a fucking problem. And that's the reason that everything's been going to shit. That's why the bridge fell down. That's why there's been all these mysterious murders. And that's why there's all this mysterious mist everywhere. So the prime minister says... Holy shit, that's a lot to process. What are you going to do about this? As Minister Fudge says, Ha, LOL, do you really think I'm the minister still after all of that? Meet my replacement, Rufus Scrimgore. So, fire does its thing. Outsteps, bup, 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 motherfucking Rufus Scrimgore. He says, Scrimgore says, yeah, things are pretty fucked, but we're working on it. And also, we've given you a personal bodyguard. Uh, who's working in your office as a secretary. It turns out it's Kingsley Shacklebolt, now private secretary to the actual prime minister. The prime minister says, I don't understand why you guys can't get this under control. Can't you do magic? Scrimgore says, that's the problem. The other side can do magic too. So, da 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 fade to black, cut to a dodgy-looking neighborhood in London, and two hooded figures have apparated and are making their way to just kind of this beat house. Turns out it's the home of one Severus Snape, professor at Hogwarts. He's 
The two hooded figures are Narcissa Malfoy and Bellatrix Lestrange. Narcissa wants to talk to Snape because Voldemort has given her son Draco Malfoy a mission because he's super hella fucking pissed about what happened with Lucius Malfoy in the Minister of Magic back in like June. I think it was June. Uh, earlier this year where they didn't get the prophecy. Um, and Narcissa knows that the Dark Lord really trusts Snape. So she says, Snape, do me a solid. Try to talk Voldemort out of this. Bellatrix tells her basically to keep her mouth shut and that she should be honored that Draco has this special errand, what could it be, and that she shouldn't trust Snape anyway. Bellatrix interrogates Snape about whether or not he's been evil this entire time. Why didn't you come back right away when the dark mark started to burn? Why didn't you kill Harry Potter when you had the chance, even though you were his teacher? Do you even Cruciatus, bro? Basically. <laughs> Snape deftly parries all of these charges while simultaneously providing a nice recap of everything that happened in the last five books and says basically that he's been a double agent this whole time and that he didn't abandon his post at Hogwarts because he's super fucking useful as Dumbledore's right-hand man passing on information to Lobo. So that's that. Also, this whole time, Wormtail is this weird, like, beer pong troll who's sort of, like, skulking around and, like, bringing them drinks. Uh, so Wormtail has become Snape's personal bartender. Getting back to the main issue at hand, Narcissus says, please help Draco do this mysterious thing. Snape says, okay, I'll do it. I think the Dark Lord wants me to do it anyway. Narcissus says, okay, but swear to me, swear the unbreakable vow. So they clasp hands and there's some spooky magic shit that happens and Snape's fate, whatever it is, is sealed. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. Whew! I am a little rusty. You did it though. We got through it. I know. Uh, it feels good to be back though. Yeah, so let's talk about the getting back into it portion of this book. First of all, I know I said this in a later episode in book five, but this is going to be fun and weird because, yo, I don't remember the plot of this book. At all. I remember some, here's what I remember. I remember the potions textbook. I remember there's a lot of love shit. <laughs> I remember Dumbledore's fucked up hand. I remember the lake and I remember the end. Okay, so you remember basically all of this book. But I don't remember how any of those things, like, comes to be. Because those are basically and I the key sort points. I vaguely remember Slughorn as a character, but, like, anyway, I'm sort of short on the details of all of this. I don't remember a ton about how they figure out about the Horcruxes. I, like, remember snatches of the lake as though it were a dream that I had once. Like, I don't remember the kind of essential points of what the fuck happens at the lake. I just remember, I think I have a false memory that comes from the Disney movie Hercules, <laughs> where Hercules jumps in the river Styx to save Meg. Megasus. Yeah. Is her Me name Megasus? No, it's Megara. It's not oh, Megasus. 
You're no. thinking of Pegasus. I know. I thought her name was Megasus. There's no way you thought it was Megasus. I did. Are you serious? I mean, I didn't remember her name. I knew it was Meg. I assumed it was yeah, short it's, for Megasus. It's Megara. Okay, Megasus is not Megasus. <laughs> anyway. Megasus so, and Pegasus. My name is Meg. It's short <laughs> for, for Megasus. Megasus. So I have a memory of that happening, but in Harry Potter and with Dumbledore. And I sort of remember what Draco's task was, but I don't remember how the whole shit goes down at the end. I just know this sort of essential fact. Of uh, as usual, there's a lot of fucking logistics. There's a vanishing cabinet at some point. Oh, I totally forgot about the vanishing yeah. cabinet. I thought that was in book seven. The main thing I forgot about this book was pygmy puffs. Oh, that's in this book? Yeah, that's in this book. I thought that was like a fucking Fantastic Beasts thing. No. Okay. There's going to be, there will be puffs. I remember, I have a lot of problems with the depiction of Lavender Brown. That's one of the main oh, things I yeah, remember. Oh, yeah, that's going to be popular. I can't fucking wait to talk about Lavender Brown. <laughs> that's going to be popular with the reviewers. Um. <laughs> anyway, so we're back in it. What did you think about this setup, this sort of like recap chapter via the Prime Minister? It's funny that we get not only one, but two chapters without Harry, because there's like, so much to recap because we're you know we're we're heading into the home stretch of the series she has done a good job because the first three books it's always like harry woke up in bed and thought about everything that had ever happened to him (laughs) so she's gotten out of that habit which i really appreciate and i actually think this is a stellar setup i think like it's a really well-paced little brisk catch-up session via a new couple of characters and the last book the ending was so dark and grim this has a lot of nice broad comedy even though they're talking about like very dark events the broad comedy of fudge like bursting through the fireplace to talk to the befuddled prime minister uh looking increasingly harried oh and i almost forgot fudge had added we're importing three foreign dragons and a sphinx for the Triwizard Tournament. Quite routine, but the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures tells me that it's down in the rulebook that we have to notify you if we're bringing highly dangerous creatures into the country. I... what? Dragons? spluttered the Prime Minister. Yes, three, said Fudge. And a sphinx. Well. Good day to you. The Prime Minister had hoped beyond hope that dragons and sphinxes would be the worst of it. But no. Less than two years later, Fudge had erupted out of the fire yet again, this time with the news that there had been a mass breakout from Azkaban. A mass breakout? repeated the Prime Minister hoarsely. No need to worry, no need to worry, shouted Fudge, already with one foot in the flames. We'll have them rounded up in no time. Just thought you ought to know. And before the Prime Minister could shout, Now wait just one moment, Fudge had vanished in a shower of green sparks. You can see it cinematically, like a kind of the repetition of Fudge appearing and being like, Oh my God! Also, it's criminal that this scene isn't in the movie because... It is the perfect opportunity to have fucking cast Hugh Grant in Harry Potter. As the Prime Minister from Love Actually. Oh my god, such a good crossover (laughs) episode of Love Actually and the Harry Potter books. 
Don't you think Hugh Grant would have been perfect in this scene? Uh, absolutely. And it's a, I just think it's a crime in general that Hugh Grant isn't in these movies. He's like the one big Brit. Him and fucking, ugh, who's the other one in Bridget Jones? Oh, Colin shit. Firth. Colin Firth. I guess there's no like, Gilroy Lockhart is kind of the only like stud in these movies. And both of them play romantic interests usually. Honestly, Hugh Grant would have been a decent Gilderoy, although although Kenneth Branagh is really, really good. All right, not to belabor the point on the movies, because obviously we're going to do a movie mini, but... I'm sad that, but this book's so large, and this is basically a catch-up scene. Yeah, it's a so, pretty throwaway you know. scene, but I think Hugh Grant, as the Prime Minister from Love Actually, in this scene, is a hilarious that's, idea. That's my, uh, they should make a web short. Warner Brothers should make a web short. I would watch that, but... but- in actuality, it wouldn't be someone who looks like Hugh Grant. In, like, the actual timeline of these books, the Prime Minister would be John Major. This is John Major that Cornelius Fudge is talking to. So for those Con- of us Conservative are, Prime Minister. So for those of us who are American and or just not up on British politics, who the fuck is John Major? Conservative Prime Minister. He was Prime Minister for, like, six or seven years, I want to say. He came after Margaret Thatcher... And preceded Tony Blair, which is like kind of the Hugh Grant character in Love Actually. It's supposed to be sort of like Tony Blair kind of sexy new politician dude. Was Um, Tony Blair sexy? I mean, he was more handsome than John Major, I guess. I I don't know. He's like younger. He was sort of like Clinton-y. Let's take a pause while I look up what what, uh, Tony Blair looked like. Oh, he's like fine. He kind of looks like a taller Michael Bloomberg to me. (laughs) <laughs> right he's got a little bit of a yeah. Bloomberg vibe so I mean he's not Hugh Grant I have a very cursory understanding of like British politics from the last 30 years but uh you know Blair is sort of well we reference this in the adult themes he came in he was new it was like the new Democrats like Clinton and Gore going more toward the center and they called it new labor and uh he was sort of this like Breath of fresh air after years and years of conservative rule. So. Uh, But now he's sort of reviled on the left in the UK for like backing Bush and the war on terror. But Tony Blair is not who we're talking about. No, we're talking about John Major. (laughs) So I know almost nothing about John Major, except this is 1996 chronologically in the books. John Major is going to lose the election very badly. The worst defeat since for the Tories since the Reform Act of 1832. He's going to lose that in 1997 around like May. So. Theory. Hot take. Voldemort is the reason you get Tony Blair. Voldemort created new labor, guys. He did. Voldemort is the power behind Tony Blair, because he fucked everything up. Tanked the popularity tanked, of John Major. Tanked the conservative party by, like, bringing down some bridges and leading to, like, a, you know, Dementor-led national malaise. Conservatives are swept out of office. Labor's in power. You heard it here first, folks. One year later. That's a really good theory. I would love to hear from British people what actually happened. Because <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, this is now, like... I guess you can't call it canon for real life. But that's what John Major is worried about in this scene. He's like, the fuck, fudge? Like, you're bumming out all my voters and they're going to, the opposition is blaming me for everything Voldemort's doing. So here's another question. If we're assuming that the actual world leaders chronologically in these books are present, 
does fucking Bill Clinton know about the Wizarding World in America? Does the CIA know? They want to have something to do with this shit. I guarantee. <laughs> I bet the CIA knows. Certainly. And then what's the Except British... the wizards can like erase people's memory. Yeah, but even the CIA, probably. Probably more easily. Here's another question I have. Does Queen Elizabeth know? Oh my god. She's that's... the actual head of state. Does the And the Prime Minister has to tell her shit. Yeah. Damn. That's what I want to know. Another like totally tangential question. What if a member of the royal family is a wizard? Becomes a wizard. Is like a muggle-born. Those guys are not wizards. But they'd have to go to Hogwarts and stuff. But they would have a sort of small role in the muggle government. Although symbolic. Mostly symbolic. Like... What if, like, Prince William is a wizard? I just don't think that those guys have it in them. (laughs) No? No. I mean, they literally have royal blood. I know, but royal blood is really different than wizard blood. Well, anyway, I I don't know if Queen Elizabeth knows about this. She must. It's sort of weird, and this is a weird system. I think the setup is really funny. Why do, why does the magical community have, like, there's, like, statutory laws requiring them to inform, like, the muggle prime minister about the existence of wizards but it doesn't seem super effective because they just sort of pop up and say hey there's this thing all right i'm getting back in the fireplace now yeah it's not like there's any collaboration it's just like a an fyi system so my question is like is this ethical okay a cornelius fudge slash lovo have ruined the career of a British Prime Minister, a.k.a. John Major. (laughs) But much more importantly, like, they're putting Muggle lives in danger and not offering any real solutions other than an increasingly difficult to believe we have it under control. Right. Like, what's the Prime Minister supposed to do about this? He sort of expresses his anger about that. He's like, "Uh, okay, cool. what, yeah, what am I fucking supposed to do with this? Also, like, there is this fucked up gaslighting of, like, are you going to tell anyone uh, who's going to believe you? <laughs> and he's like, how come nobody warned me? And it's like, because nobody, you're going to sound crazy. You can't tell anyone because they'll put you in bedlam. So good luck dealing with any of this. Adios. You can't travel by flames. <laughs> sucks. What is he supposed to do about this? None. I mean, yeah, wizarding events are having real-world political implications for muggles. And real-world life and death implications for muggles in a way that the muggle world doesn't really do to wizards. Like, they interact with muggles so little because they're informed. That's what's unfair. There's only one informed and consenting party here. Yeah. Like, wizards understand that muggles exist and know how to like mitigate the existence of the muggle world in their own sort of decisions and muggles don't get to do the same thing they're just like lottie dying around like having no idea that somebody could like blast them to hell with a thought of fucking cadavra they're erasing the memory of a uh, they don't mention who this other world leader is that's supposed to call the prime minister they like arrange for him to forget they're interfering in, in affairs of states. World affairs. Yeah, they're going to just fucking like get... Without consent. They're going to fucking like erase Boris Yeltsin's memory as he's <laughs> like supposed to fucking call John Major. What the fuck? It's not okay. I know there's like so many consent issues. They have taken a lot of liberties with... I don't know. Wizards are fucked up. 
because they think muggles basically just have to trust that wizards won't install well they've got kingsley shacklebolt installed as the fucking private secretary to the minister of magic he couldn't pick that what's the what's to stop them like taking over the muggle government nothing Except that they're like currently not interested. Oh. But Voldemort wants to subjugate the entire Muggle population to the Wizarding World, and like they're not doing a good job of stopping that either. <laughs> Heinously immoral across the board. Uh, also, the Muggles could probably help the Wizards in their fight against Voldemort, like a little bit. Like we have like nukes and shit. I know, but so you're you not gonna nuke, nuke Voldemort. Voldemort. But you know, like, go. I mean, they would go at it all wrong because they have no under. But the thing is, like, it's not fair because they have no understanding of wizarding culture, and wizards at least have access to an understanding of Muggle culture. It's just like really unequal and unfair. Yeah. And there's like no consent anywhere in this. Like, even to like have somebody fucking show up in your office, like the prime minister doesn't have the right to say no. And he can't block flu powder because he doesn't know what the fuck flu powder is. <laughs> I guess he could, like, even if he filled in his fireplace, he would pull, oh, like, yeah, a we, Mr. We, Weasley. We've seen that. Just that doesn't work. blow his office to smithereens. I, I don't know. I do wonder why they feel... <sighs> it's so entitled. Yeah, but it's also so wizard to just have this random checkmark box that you have to do. Like, they're very, like, bureaucratic. They so are. Like, they have to, like, all right, got to show up, inform the prime minister... Our fucking T's are crossed and our eyes are dotted. Okay. We're good. Also, so the portrait that's put in his office, like in order to fucking announce the arrival of the Minister of Magic, if like the entire government can't get that thing off the wall, don't you like fucking abandon that office? <laughs> like that's a bomb. Like if you were like, I literally cannot remove a portrait from the office of the fucking prime minister. Like, you blow up that building. This is, yeah, Downing is Street terrorism. is compromised. That's fucked up. I can't believe people are like, ugh, we can't get it down. Like, oh, well, it's, like, very ugly. It's like, no, there's something nefarious <laughs> if you cannot remove a painting from a wall. And nobody knows who put it there. And nobody chose it. And you're just in this office like, what the fuck is this thing? That's crazy. One other short observation is there a stealth dig in this chapter at Margaret Thatcher? Because Say more. we've placed in time that this prime minister is John Major. Fudge tells him that his predecessor took it very badly, tried to throw him out the window because he, H E, thought that Fudge was a plot by the opposition. But the prime minister before Major is Margaret Thatcher. So is this a stealth dig at Thatcher by Rowling, who probably not a Thatcher fan. Yeah, the fact that it's like a gendered insult is also very J.K. Rowling. I think this is probably supposed to be like a f- take place sort of out of time and space as a... Clearly she doesn't mean it to be the actual prime minister at the right. time. Yeah, it's just supposed to be a generic... But I would rather believe that this all is all taking place in, in the real time. Well, she gives us dates that we can affix I know, things to. So I don't know. That is weird. It's like, this is 1996. So there's this whole part about how the Dementors are just like bumming people the fuck out throughout the entire country. And my first thought was like, oh, it's 2018. Yeah, that's what this week was like. literally (laughs) what must be happening. Like clearly there's just Dementors afoot because all I feel all the time is just fucking stupefied and bummed out by politics. Ooh, yeah. This was... uh... 
It's a dark time, this and it was a dark time. Definitely one of the worst weeks, which is of the last two years, which is saying something. Ugh, they're all bad. Another freaky thing about the Dementors is that Fudge says that they're breeding, which like, ew, how? I don't know. I thought all the Dementors were female. What? Is that a joke? Yeah, they designed them that way so that they couldn't breed. But then Fudge is like, life will find a way. Is this a Jurassic Park joke? Yes. Oh, I thought it was just sexist. No. Okay. Well, all the dinosaurs are female, but then they start mutating. But it also doesn't. Why not make them all male? Because females can bear offspring. I don't know. Ask. That's the opposite of what makes sense. Because if anything sort of emerges to inseminate a dinosaur, oh, because it's it's the extra like chromosome. Yeah, but they have makes, fucking wombs. I don't know. Doesn't make sense. Well, anyway, I don't know how Dementors are breeding. How do Dementors smash? I hate that you said smash. I hate it so hard. Um, what do they do? I don't know. I think it's it, probably asexual reproduction of some sort. It's like a spore situation. I don't know. They do seem like a creature that would have some kind of spores. Do they like lay eggs? Ew. No, I it, bet it's like some. It's like proto mist that probably like congeals. That's as a what dementor. I imagine. So I do they get their hoods, or are their hoods like organic material that like grow onto them, or do they just have like like. Is there a Dementor clothing shop, you mean? I don't think they give a clothing shop, but they just sort of like... I think they grow hoods. I don't think it's a garment. I think it's like part of their like so it just looks... fucking look. Wow. It just looks like a hood. I mean, it's what like What do we call fucking... that in nature? It's like uh... those um those moths that have eyes on their wings. Whoa. I don't so know. So those aren't actually... That? They're not actually hooded. That's just their body. No, that's their body. But think. it's like... What is that? Not camouflage. What is it called in nature? I'm looking it up. Again, Googling. Going back to the Jurassic Park theory, Fudge does say the Dementors are breeding, like it's a new thing. So, were the wizards somehow preventing the Dementors from breeding before? Yeah. There must have been some kind of, they must have been releasing some kind of weird Dementor, like, contraception. Were they getting the Dementors, like, spayed and neutered? It's called a daematic behavior, D-E-I-M-A-T-I-C. A pattern of threatening or startling behavior, such as suddenly displaying suspicious eye spots, used to scare off or momentarily distract a predator. Well, there we go. So that's what Dementors are doing. God, ugh, they're so gross. But maybe this is partly why Dementors are pissed. They're like... Because they're suppressing their reproduction? Yeah, they're like sexual autonomy is being denied to them by wizards. Wizards are just doing this to everyone left, right, and center. Wizards need to let other creatures and muggles, like, make their fucking decisions on their own. Dude, life will find a way. Ugh. And it did in this case. The wizards, the Dementors are breeding. Disgusting. Rufus Scrimgore is, like, a perfect wartime prime minister. He's, like, got the look. He's got the aesthetic. He's, like, got the sort of the moral authority, seemingly. Just a really well-written character. The Prime Minister's first foolish thought was that Rufus Scrimjaw looked rather like an old lion. There were streaks of grey in his mane of tawny hair and his bushy eyebrows. He had keen yellowish eyes behind a pair of wire-rimmed spectacles and a certain rangy, loping grace even though he walked with a slight limp. There was an immediate impression of shrewdness and toughness. The Prime Minister thought he understood why the wizarding community preferred Scrimgeour to Fudge as a leader in these dangerous times. How do you do? said the Prime Minister politely, holding out his hand. Scrimgeour grasped it briefly, his eyes scanning the room, 
then pulled out a wand from under his robes. Fudge told you everything? he asked, striding over to the door and tapping the keyhole with his wand. The Prime Minister heard the lock click. Uh, yes, said the Prime Minister. And if you don't mind, I'd rather that door remained unlocked. I'd rather not be interrupted, said Scrimjaw shortly. Or watched, he added. Yeah, there's something like Churchillian about him compared to like Fudge's Neville Chamberlain-esque like fecklessness, I get, I think is what she's going for here. Well, isn't there like lion imagery about Churchill? Yeah, he's like, there's like a biography called The Last Lion and like, you know, the lion is, Scrimgore is described as looking like a lion and the lion is a national symbol of the UK and like there's Richard the Lionhearted and like great British wartime leaders are described as like lion-like. So Leonine is the word. Leonine. Very good. You're that's right. uh we got some good vocabulary on this pod. Yeah. That's a fifty cent word. I also want to talk a little bit more about Fudge. One, how did he survive for another month politically after the whole fiasco in book five? How does like he hangs on for a whole month. It's really shocking. And he doesn't get like sacked until the bridge falls down. He must be like a pretty good politician in some ways. Like he's like a survivor. If for his sure. coalition didn't fall apart like immediately after that, that's he doesn't lose his job right after Voldemort is revealed to uh, to have returned. Yeah, he's but, a um, bad leader, but he's a really savvy political operator. And now he's staying on as like an advisor to the new prime minister, even though he a completely botched everything. like delayed. The ministry's response to Voldemort installed, like, a Nazi at Hogwarts. This is like the wizarding version of the financial crisis, right? Like, everything's fucked up, but then, like, no one loses their job. And Obama, like, installs all of the, like, architects of the crisis. Like, we get... <laughs> yeah, like... Like, in government. We get, like... Like, Fudge is still being, like, held on as a top-level advisor, which I guess... I don't know. You could argue that's good for, like, continuity. But, like, Fudge doesn't even have any information. Fudge is, like, completely information starved. Like, if anybody should be an advisor, it's obviously Dumbledore, but, like, Buddy's busy. But it's not like Fudge has any actual sort of, like, insight here. He just fucking missed all of it. And the (laughs) continuity aspect just doesn't seem worth having someone this dense around. No, I know. They're, like... And this sort of, like power scheming and that is why harry doesn't trust the ministry i would say i don't blame him uh but that will be revealed we'll discuss that later on uh in this book so yeah fudge is like timothy geithner or whatever (laughs) uh i don't know i mean there's many arguments there we don't have to talk about the response to the financial crisis on this uh podcast it's been like exactly 10 years that's true so well I don't know. That's a little too topical and kind of, I mean, it's not boring, but like, <laughs> what is the week call it? It's boring, but important. Yeah. The rest of this will be a discussion of the response to the financial crisis. False. Instead, we're going to talk about Spinner's End. And I have a couple of super quick quibbles about this ah, chapter. What else are we here to do, if not quibble? So it's this really atmospheric kind of 
entry into the chapter where they're like scrambling over this like drainage ditch bank and like walking through this super shady neighborhood to like find this mysterious house. But the whole time I was like, why the fuck did you guys apparate so far away? Like they walk like a mile through this like abandoned kind of like semi-industrial like really creepy neighborhood (laughs) just to get to, it's like, you guys know you can like land wherever you want, right? They're dramatic. They're such drama queens, but <laughs> it's just totally weird. And then my other Maybe question, Snape has got it set up. So that you can't apparate like straight to his house. Right. That seems like the most likely explanation. Or maybe they don't know exactly where it is. So they apparate sort of like in the vicinity. But the whole time they're like taking this like really weird like walk. I was just like, you guys don't need to walk. So small quibble. The other question I have is where do the teachers live? Because we're given to understand in the last book that they all live on the Hogwarts campus like full time because Trelawney's like this has been my home for 13 years or Maybe whatever. not all of them. Maybe some of them like go home for the summer or like have other places. I mean Snape clearly does. I mean, this is Well maybe this is just like this is where he goes like bunburying in the city. <laughs> you know this reference. is his like. This is his just crash pad. It's like such a creepy, skulky kind of... This is where he lurks when he's tired of lurking at Hogwarts. He's just... This is his, like, bat den. I wonder where Dumbledore lives. Someplace fab. Yeah, that's true. Almost certainly. Those are my two little quibbles. Let's talk about Snape himself. I think this is a great Snape scene. I mean, say what you will about... And we do. And we do about, like, Snape's actions, but... He's a really great character. You really don't know when he's telling the truth and when he's lying in a way that I think is really Through to the very end, you don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I I know how the book turns out, and I don't think I can parse, like, every single one of these statements, like, which one's true and which one's not. Right, which leaves it up to the reader to decide in a really interesting way, which is why he's a polarizing character. And I think think that's nicely done. I mean, we know... In the end, one thing he definitely feels, which is that, like, Lily Potter is, like, super awesome, but everything else. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Snape's backstory is redeeming, and that is an opinion I continue to hold, despite the fact that this is, that Snape is getting interesting here. But I do think his backstory is, like, really, really, really interesting and worth knowing, and This is just a great Snape book. I mean, this is like the quintessential Snape book. I had forgotten how fascinating he really is because he's he's really one note. I find him to be pretty one note for at least the first three books. Yeah. You get some complications in four and five and you can always tell that we're going to like kind of come back to him and like see some real shit. But he's actually really funny and deceptive in a really fun way and I I hate in school Snape (laughs) I find in school Snape seems to be nearly unbearable because he's so so cruel to children and like that's irredeemable like I'm fucking sorry but he can be the most I don't know like lovesick fascinating complicated anti-hero on the planet and like you can't fucking abuse kids you just can't but when he's interacting with other Death Eaters and, like, poning Bellatrix Lestrange, I really enjoy him. It's an interesting twist on the idea of just following orders, because we usually see that used to justify, like, horrible actions. And is here using it, using that excuse to, like, keep himself 
like for a good reason to like keep himself in with the Death Eaters. Yeah, no, he's he's giving himself really good cover here, and you have this really great moment where he agrees to make the unbreakable vow, and Bellatrix is just like, oh damn. I really expected you to bulk at this at the last minute and prove your disloyalty once and for all. And he's like, nah, bitch. Like, I am here for this. Well, I mean, you that's, know that's Dumbledore's, like, 12th dimensional chess. Exactly. But Snape, and Snape's. But that's the thing. Snape's, like, a, a totally party to the whole thing. Like, I don't think Snape's a pawn. No. He's the only truly all-the-way-in-it knowledgeable character other than Dumbledore through the whole series. Right. Snape, like, always knows what the fuck is going on. I mean, better than Dumbledore does because he is, like, actually in these fucked up Death Eater board meetings. This was your sacrifice for the Dark Lord, not to teach your favorite subject, she jeered. Why did you stay there all that time, Snape? Still spying on Dumbledore for a master you believe dead? Hardly, said Snape. Although the Dark Lord is pleased that I never deserted my post, I had sixteen years of information on Dumbledore to give him when he returned, a rather more useful welcome back present than endless reminiscences of how unpleasant Azkaban is. But you stayed. Yes, Bellatrix, I stayed, said Snape, betraying a hint of impatience for the first time. I had a comfortable job that I preferred to a stint in Azkaban. They were rounding up the Death Eaters, you know. Dumbledore's protection kept me out of jail. It was most convenient, and I used it. I repeat, the Dark Lord does not complain that I stayed. So I do not see why you do. It's interesting to see the first few books like related through Snape's eyes. It is. It's true. It's interesting. And it's also interesting because he does a really smart thing here um, in order to appear sort of like honest is he admits like fallibility. He's like, yeah, the reason I stayed at Hogwarts initially is because I thought Voldemort was dead. And I was like, this job is sick. (laughs) It's super cushy. And I like live in this fucking castle and do whatever I want. So he's like, yeah, I didn't stay because I like knew for sure that I was going to be needed as this like double agent. I was just like, Damn, well, I guess I have to have a job. (laughs) So I appreciate him showing, like, kind of showing that weakness. He becomes much more credible to these horrible women. So let's talk about these horrible women. Only Bellatrix is, I mean, ugh. Narcissa is so hard for me because you don't get to participate in, like, fascism but also be a good mom. And that's, like, again, it's not redeeming. The fact that you personally love your son doesn't mean you're a good person. And J.K. Rowling is so obsessed with the utterly sorrow-wiping, magic, magicking, redemptive power of a mother's love. And it's like, bad people love their kids. The committers of great atrocities in history have loved their individual offspring. That's just evolution. And... Good moms love terrible kids. And good moms. And I, but is she a good mom? She's not a good person. She's a death eater. You know, fucking awful people will do anything to save their own offspring. She doesn't care about other kids. It's not like she's a lover of children, period. Right. Like, congratulations. You love your disgusting son. <laughs> I just, I think that 
J.K. Rowling's judgment is really, really clouded with Narcissa Malfoy because I don't think a mother's love is in and of itself. Maybe it's less redeeming for her and more Voldemort couldn't even consider the possibility that that would exist among like his followers or he just doesn't think it's important, like those feelings. And that is like just another one of his It's one of his great weaknesses. But this is played in, especially in the fandom of this series, as like Narcissa is like kind of is grouped together with like Molly and Lily and Tonks. Yeah. As like one of the really, one of the really formidable mothers of the series. And I just, awful, awful women can also love their kids. She's not part of the resistance. No, fuck that. She's not a, but then she kind of becomes a resistance grifter in book seven. I know, but a grifter. (laughs) She's a resistance grifter. Which, God, there are so many of. Um, This is a really awful thing that Voldemort does to the Malfoy family, though. I will grant that it is a uniquely horrific punishment. So the thing is, Voldemort does clearly at least understand the emotions of his followers. But only as a way to manipulate them. Right. But I mean, he knows they exist because he knows that nothing is going to hurt the Malfoys more than putting Draco in harm's way. Even Lucius. Again, Lucius is like the worst and awful to his son, but he loves his son. It's not redeeming. Also, Narcissa is described as hysterical. I know. The more we get through these books, the more I'm just like, J.K. Rowling is a shoddy feminist at best. Uh, Inconsistent, maybe. Inconsistent. You're right. Shoddy is going pretty hard at her. But the word hysterical is not awesome, especially when she is in quote-unquote hysterics about something extremely legitimate. What do we think about Bellatrix's weird jealousy of Snape? I mean, I do think, again, there's like, ooh, Heather's back. There's like gender dynamics at play because like... (laughs) Bellatrix is more trustworthy than Snape. Right. And Voldemort trusts her less and thinks she's like a silly woman, basically. She and is kind of dumb. Bellatrix has Snape dead to rights. She is totally correct about Snape. She's completely correct. She figures it out. She does, like instantly. Her, her miss, so yeah, she's not dumb at all. Her impressions of Snape are all like dead on. She's got it figured out. Totally, totally. And no <laughs> one's going to believe her. She's like this weird Death Eater Cassandra. She still sucks. And yeah. she still inexplicably in this audiobook has a French accent. <sighs> Come on, Jimmy. Jim Old Dale's only mistake. James Dale. What a problem. <laughs> uh, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Kingsley Shacklebolt just uh, doing his patriotic duty as both a Briton and a wizard. I-, I don't know. Like, just hauling ass through, like, important paperwork. He takes really annoying jobs and is just like really clutch at them like when his whole job was to like pretend he was trying to catch Sirius Black (laughs) and instead like throw people more and more off the track Uh, or like he's the one that shows up with Cornelius Fudge when Dumbledore is like disappearing from his office to basically be like an obstruction without seeming obstructive uh he's so good I love Kingsley. He's just fucking clutch yeah he's clutch mine is also an in memoriam Amelia Bones, Uh, who goes out fighting, we hear. Voldemort decides to kill Amelia himself. Because he knows she's a threat. Yeah, she's a badass. And it's, that's a really sad death. It is sad, but I imagine he arrived at the house. He's like, you're going down, Amelia. She rolls up her sleeves, pulls out her wand, and says, 
roll them bones. Very good. And People an, think that's way funnier. And then an epic duel ensues. Yep. And unfortunately... Last words. Roll them bones. We're roll them bones. May she rest. Uh, she's a hero throughout these books and actually one of the more interesting female characters that we only get to meet really once and then hear about in passing. Because... She's Susan's aunt, right? Yeah. Poor Susan Bones. I know. Yeah, her heroism isn't rooted in her relationship to another man. She's just or a... Or a child. Yeah, or a child. She's, She's just, just a, a badass. badass. She's just like, she and, roll them bones, let's fuck shit up. She and Minerva McGonagall should like, I don't know, be like the Wizarding Golden Girls. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by... Spinner's End, centrally located, and no deposit. <laughs> also, you can apparate there. And you can, yeah. <laughs> the audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which we are so excited to be reading and listening to, finally. You know, in case you're a little rusty, you probably remember the drill. Rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can also send us emails, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We do read them all. We haven't done a mailbag in a long time. We actually did did one and the audio got super fucked up and then we just like suck and never re-recorded. Sorry, guys. But we're going to do one. Been a busy couple months. Yeah. To be fair to us, we have been on a lot of aeroplanes. So we're also on social media and going to pick back up there again as well. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Quibbler Podcast. That's the overall deal. We have a newsletter, tinyletter.com slash Podcast. That, once again, we're kind of back in the swing. So we'll come out with marginally more regularity, but we certainly won't clog your inboxes. And next week, we will be reading the chapters called Will and Won't and Horace Slughorn. Alex's favorite character. I love Boris Slughorn. It's gonna be good. We will talk to y'all then. Thanks! Amigos! Didn't you tell me they're the creatures that drain hope and happiness out of people? That's right! And they're breeding! That's what's causing all this mist! I'm simply saying that life, uh, finds a way. Now, wait a moment, declared the Prime Minister. You can't just put your people into my office. I decide who works for me. I thought you were happy with Shacklebolt, said Scrimjaw coldly. I am. That's to say, I, I was. Then there's no problem, is there? said Scrimjaw. I... well... We may be a small country, but we're a great one too. The country of Shakespeare, Churchill, The Beatles, Sean Connery, Harry Potter. <laughs> David Beckham's right foot. David Beckham's left foot company. And a friend who bullies us is no longer a friend. And since bullies only respond to strength, from now onward, I will be prepared to be much stronger. And the president should be prepared for that.